Did perimenopause or menopause catch you off guard? Weird symptoms appearing from nowhere? Wondering who is this person who's inhabiting your body? And most of all, having no one to talk to about it? It happened to me too. And with all the chaos that it was causing me, I knew I had to figure it out. I dug in, reading often outdated books and searching obscure references on the internet. I learned how our shifting reproductive hormones mess with every cell in our bodies. And as I realized how complete this hormonal disruption was, I became determined to help other women understand and control their own menopause journey. Because menopause matters. And here, we talk about all things menopause. I'm your host, Jean Andrus, and this is Menopause Matters, the podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Jean Andrus, the menopause guru, and this is Menopause Matters. And today I'd like to talk about gut health, and I'm talking about gut health with Addie Hartkin. Addie is a certified holistic nutritionist, restorative wellness practitioner, life coach, and a faculty member of the Energetic Health Institute. Her journey with ulcerative colitis began in 2005 when she received a devastating diagnosis and spent the next few years fighting for her life. After being told she had three months left to live, she soon turned to natural methods of healing, eventually making a full recovery from what she was told was an incurable disease. Today, Addie helps others find relief and healing through objective testing, personalized holistic nutrition plans at the Being Well, a virtual nutrition practice she founded with her husband, Jeremiah. Together, they offer a compassionate and personalized approach to nutrition and healing that empowers their clients to take control of their health and transform their lives. Addie's story is a testament to the power of determination and the and natural healing methods. I'm starting to read badly here. <laughs> and her work is a beacon of hope for those seeking resolution of their chronic digestive issues. Addie, welcome. It's so good to have you here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited to be on and have have a good chat with you about these things. Yeah, this is a really important topic and it's an a topic that we have not dealt with in in western medicine to the extent that it's necessary. So we've we've started to identify a whole lot of things as a autoimmune disorders. And what we kind of didn't notice about these is that most of them begin with gut health issues. Would you say that's true? Absolutely. Yes. I think that um, it's definitely understated how important gut, gut health is. And it's starting to become a little bit more um, in the awareness of at least this natural healing world Mm -hmm. Um, and starting to become a little bit more common knowledge, but, um, it's definitely still very understated. And especially when you look at Western medicine, um, they do not put enough of an emphasis on gut health in general. And it's, um, absolutely such an important part of so many different aspects of your health. Absolutely. So you, 
Let's go back and dig into a little bit of your story, just to give you okay. give everybody a background. You were diagnosed at the how old were you at the age when you were diagnosed? I was diagnosed um, just after I turned eighteen, so it okay. was um, symptoms started when I was seventeen. Just after I turned eighteen, I was diagnosed, um, and uh, I went downhill very quickly, um, and so. Uh, from the point I was diagnosed, um, pretty much within a few months, I had to um, just graduate early from high school, um, you know, was pretty much stuck in a bed for mm. two years, essentially, um, in and out of the ICU, in and out of the hospitals, emergency room, you know, constantly. Um, and uh, and so after two years of that, um, it's when they told me I had three months left to live. So I was um, just, let's see, it was, um, it was 2007. And so I was, um, I was 21, I believe. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. uh, that's pretty amazing. And you've made a full recovery mm -hmm. and you have, I take it, no issues resulting from this or, or is there some leftover yeah. So it took me quite a while from that point forward to, um, figure out what to do to get better. Um, I decided in that moment when they told me I had three months left to live that, um, that finding an alternative on my own, or at least trying to was a better option than just staying there in the hospital bed and slowly fading away. And <laughs> so if they didn't have help for me, um, you know, hope for me or help for me, um, then I was going to go try to figure it out on my own. So that's mm -hmm. what I did. Um, and so it took a lot of trial and error. There definitely wasn't that much information out there, mm -hmm. um, back then as there is now, like even the internet just wasn't what it is today. I was, how did people go to the library and get me library books to try to find answers and, um, all sorts of things like that. And so it took quite some time for me to figure out really what I needed to do. Um, but uh, after quite a few years, um, I think maybe like about five or six years till I was completely symptom free, but I, I made it and I, um, I never went back to a hospital again after, after two years of constantly being in them, never had to go back to a hospital again. Um, never had to go back to another Western medical doctor. And, um, now I've been symptom free for almost 10 years. So that's, that's really amazing. Addie. Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's a testament to, your will to find answers. And Absolutely. that's, that's incredible. Now, let me ask you a question. Did they diagnose you or did they, did they try and tell you the standard answer? It's stress. It's all in your head. It's, you know, <laughs> you're doing. <laughs> um, it's actually was almost the opposite of that. They didn't, would not acknowledge that there was an emotional component, which I feel like there always is with autoimmune disease. Yeah. Um, and so what they said instead was that it was likely genetic and that it was an incurable disease and it was chronic. And I would just, this was just something that just, um, some people get, and then they're just with it, stuck with it the rest of their life. And, um, it was kind of almost like, you know, when you see in those movies and, and someone's getting a cancer diagnosis and everything kind of goes quiet and they can't really register what the doctor is saying. It was like one of those moments for me because I was a teenager and just started having stomach issues, but there were several stressful events in my life leading up to it. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, a lot of, um, really unhealthy eating habits in my childhood and, and other un unhealthy coping, um, mechanisms and in, in my childhood of just, um, 
things that had never been addressed, you know? And so I think all of that caught up to me um, eventually. And mm. so the doctors just saw it as, well, it's probably just something that you're predisposed to and there's nothing that we can do, but we can manage it with medication and we can take out your colon. Um, and so of course <laughs> I, uh, I, I had something in me, even though I had no really understanding of natural health at that point, um, that told me not to let them take my colon. And, um, thank goodness because my life would be totally different right now had I let them do that. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So gut health, gut health, it is um, a major issue for many of us, who, especially those of us who have survived for many, many years on standard American diet. Right. <laughs> what, what's the, what's the bottom line on it? Um, maybe that's a bad pun. I'm sorry. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be, but what, what is it that we are really looking at when we talk about gut health? Yeah. So there's a couple things that we look at and um, there's actually quite a bit that we look at, but I'll, I'll give you the most um, important pieces. So first of all, I think for your listeners, it'd be important for them to understand that, um, that, you know, you hear a lot about the microbiome. The microbiome is really important. That's your, all the different kind of bacteria growing in your gut. Um, and, and, and there's also, you know, different kinds of fungus and things like that in there that are, are there in small amounts, as long as they stay in check, it's okay. Um, so what we want to look at is balance. When we talk about the microbiome is like, do you have enough, um, of the good stuff? Do you have too much of the bad stuff? What's the balance look like there? And you want there, that to be in balance. And as long as, um, certain bugs stay in very low amounts, how they coexist with us, um, in very low amounts, then we're Okay. And as long as the good stuff is plentiful and um, in adequate amounts, then that's also um, going to help with your um, your health overall. And there's a lot of things I can dive into with that um, in a minute, probably. But um, <laughs> the microbiome is super, super important. It can affect your neurotransmitter function. It can affect um, other aspects of your gut health. It can affect your hormones, um, especially your estrogen. And, um, it can affect your blood sugar regulation. I mean, there's so many different things, your immune system, the way that you do cope with stress. So there's a lot that happens in your gut, just from that microbiome that we're still diving into and learning more about in science right now. I mean, it's something that's such a vast topic because there's billions and billions of different microbes living in there. It's so hard to, um, even just break the surface in an hour long talk, but, um, that's one really important part is to make sure that that is, is, is strong and healthy. You can do that with, um, eating more fermented foods, eating more fiber in your diet, which really all you have to do for that is just eat real food and whole foods that are not super processed and, um, you know, uh, all the good stuff taken out basically. Um, so as long as you're eating real food that can really help nourish that microbiome. And then you can always supplement with probiotics as well. Um, but the other part of your digestion that we don't hear as much about is actually your digestive function. And when we talk about function, we talk about your stomach acid production, your digestive enzyme production, and your bile production. And so those three, um, we call them like gastric juices, those three um, mm -hmm. digestive ju juices together um, help you to digest your proteins, to digest your uh, fats, your carbohydrates, but then also to absorb your minerals and your vitamins and 
um, all of those beneficial things that are the building blocks for every other function in your body. So that's really why a huge reason why gut health is so important is because if you aren't digesting and absorbing those nutrients properly, then it's going to be hard to heal anything else. It's going to be hard to balance anything else. Um, and so those are, I would say, the the microbiome and your digestive function are really the two most important aspects. Let's talk about one more. Um, leaky gut. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So my understanding of leaky gut is that as we eat and absorb, uh, digest mm -hmm. more and more of these foreign foods, these preservatives and additives and changes to our food, plus uh, the overwhelming amount of sugar and starches in our diet, that that we actually start to tear apart the lining of of our intestines allowing things that were never meant to be absorbed to flow into our body is that is that a reasonable explanation that's close yeah and i can expand on that a little okay. bit um go for it so leaky gut is absolutely something the lining the lining of your gut and the health of your gut lining is is definitely a really important part of your um, overall health. And I think the reason I didn't lump that in is because if your digestive function is good and if your microbiome is healthy, then your gut lining will be healthy. And so, um, but that, if that is leaky, like you said, we get some pretty big problems happening. And so um, what happens is when you're eating these things like the preservatives, um, artificial sweeteners even, and I know especially for your audience, a lot of times, um, you know, weight is a big concern. And mm -hmm. so they'll go to like these diet foods, diet sodas, things like that with the artificial mm -hmm. sweeteners in them. And um, the majority of those sweeteners outside of maybe like stevia is fa fairly safe, monk fruits, fairly safe. But these artificial ones, like you see the Splenda and the aspartame and all of those types of things um, can actually degrade and create more inflammation, degrade that lining of your gut. Um, decrease your beneficial bacteria, which allows, um, there's kind of like these different layers in your gut where there's like beneficial bacteria and there's like a mucosa. So it's kind of like mucus, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of a gross word, but it's really, really important for, for the health of your gut to be there as like a protective film over right. the lining of your gut, right. you can think of it as, and that contains all sorts of beneficial bacteria as well. And then there's actual like skin cells below that. And so you want all those barriers to be there to help protect your gut. And if you start to have less microbiome there and not a healthy mucosal layer there, then um, we get down to what, what's called tight junctions. And they're kind of like gateways in the lining of your gut that are supposed to allow one molecule of nutrient through basically into your bloodstream. Um, and so what happens is we eat certain foods um, and these these tight junctions start to re get relaxed, basically, and they start to open. The doors start to open wider. And so larger particles of undigested food can get in there to create food sensitivities because your immune system does not recognize them in a big chunk. They only recognize one amino acid or, you know, one molecule of magnesium. Um, and so when those get through, that's a problem, but also pathogens can get through. So the pathogens that normally should just be carried out through your stool 
um, end up getting into your bloodstream more easily and also creating more inflammation. And so um, toxins, pathogens, all of those things, we don't want those going straight into our bloodstream and we start to get autoimmunity and, um, you know, other issues like that. So it's, yeah, it's a big, a big way that autoimmune diseases huge. or syndromes begin because your body is now attacking things that yeah. it, it shouldn't have to. And so it gets hypersensitive and then it says, oh, thyroid, we don't recognize that. Let's attack the thyroid or right, Hashimoto's. Right. Or we don't recognize the pancreas, so let's attack mm -hmm. that. That's where type 1 diabetes comes from. It's not. Right. It's a exactly. totally different thing. And some yeah. of these others. Um, uh-huh. And that's a good point, too, because um, the other the other piece of that, too, is that um, the gluten, you always <laughs> hear about gluten-free, gluten sensitivities, all that stuff right now. But one of the things to know about gluten is that even if you don't have a sensitivity to it, if you do too much of it and you're overloading your system, you can actually create leaky gut from that because there it activates an enzyme in your gut called zonulin. You can actually test your zonulin levels um, on mm. a stool test, um, but it, it activates that enzyme, which it's that enzyme acts on the lining of your gut to relax those tight junctions as well. And so that's one thing we see with people that eat just too much gluten. They tend to get leaky gut because it's just not enough um, time for your body to kind of seal up those junctions and tighten them back up again. It's just a constant barrage of that. Um, so gluten's not necessarily an enemy, but it's like, again, everything in balance. You <laughs> don't want too much of it. Yeah. And, um, and let's talk yeah. just a little, let's just go back and talk a little bit about gluten because gluten, the gluten in our food chain has changed drastically in absolutely. the last century. And so the gluten protein is gluten is a protein and it was, we talk about bread of life and staff of life. And we talk about people surviving. Um, if you're like me and read the little house books, 106 times, <laughs> you did, they talk about surviving on wheat for an entire winter where that's all they had in the long winter. If you ever, if you want to know which book. Yeah, I remember um, that. <laughs> but what we have today is genetic is basically it's been genetically modified through selective breeding in the early part of the last century and then in the later part specific genetic modifications so that the gluten that we have now is different than the gluten that was found in wheat and can still be found in heritage wheat crops but is quite a bit different. So it's acting differently in our bodies. And we want to be sure that we realize that that's one of the reasons that our high bread cultures, and I live in the middle of one of them. I live in Louisiana, which lives on its bread and its rice, but mm -hmm. you know, it's different now than it used to be. So the fact that we, we, see all these cultures living on wheat for, for many mm -hmm. centuries, it, it's not the same. It's not. Yeah. It's, it's definitely not the same. And, and part of it is that the wheat that we used to have um, that you referenced had a lower gluten content to mm -hmm. it. So it wasn't as much. So again, we come back to this theme of balance, right? It's like some things are okay, but in balance with other things. Right. And so right. Um, the gluten we have today is they're the the wheat we have today rather is much more 
glutinous um, than it used to be. And then in addition, other genetic modifications and other sorts of contamination from um, unhealthy farming practices, um, you know, definitely compounds it. And then, um, you know, but the interesting thing is, is that a lot of people, I have a lot of clients who cannot do gluten at all. Um, it really tears them up. Um, and, um, but then they go to Europe and they have bread and cheese and all the things that they can't eat here and they're fine. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of the European crops though, still use those heritage, um, versions, um, that you mentioned. So, um, it's not just even in these modern times, but it's especially in America that we have a, a problem with with our, our wheat. <laughs> well, let's so. mention another thing here. Cause you, you just brought it up and let's get, let's go there. And mm -hmm. that is, uh, toxins and by toxins, I don't just mean the pesticides that we put on our crops, but I also mean our household cleaners, our makeup, our shampoos, our personal cleansing products, our personal care products, uh, the things we use in our house, as well as the pesticides we we put on our food and our the pesticides we put in our environment to tame whatever is in our mm -hmm. environment. And these, they're hormone disruptors, but they're also terrible for for our gut biome. And let's talk about that for a few minutes. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, yeah, there are so many chemicals in our world these days that didn't used to be there um, several decades ago, even. Um, and so you mentioned um, some really important ones um, that people especially don't think of that often. Um, sometimes it sounds like or being organic or eating organic is kind of like a fad or a trend or something like that. Um, but the, the fact is, is that that's how things used to be. There used to not be an organic label because everything just was organic. And it wasn't until the industrial revolution that they started to develop these pesticides and herbicides and all of those things. Um, and they definitely have had an impact on, on everyone's health. And um, there's a lot of science to back that up too, that you can look at um, to, to, to understand really that it's not just one of these like buzzwords that kind of is going to be around for a minute and then disappear. Um, and so, yes, uh, there's a lot of different herbicides and pesticides and chemical fertilizers that are used in those farming practices. And um, they do uh, have an impact, number one, on your microbiome. They um, tend to deplete the, the beneficial bacteria. Um, number two, uh, they also tend to cause um, kind of like a degradation of your intestinal lining. And there are like these little kind of hair-like um, finger projections on your intestinal lining that are called um, villi, villi or villi. Um, and so those, those can actually get like broken down. And what they do is they increase your absorption. Cause if you look at, pretend that like my hand, you know, every finger is, um, is, is one of those villi that's um, like more surface area. It's kind of like, you know, if you think about your intestines are this long squiggly thing all coiled up, it's more surface area than if it was just a straight tube from top to bottom, right? And then it has all these little finger-like projections to increase the absorption area for you to be able to absorb your nutrients. Well, those get actually like cut down sometimes and like start to get so inflamed that they, you, they become less of them and less absorption area. So you end up being more nutrient deficient, not being able to absorb your food as well. 
that's caused by these types of things, these pesticides and herbicides and whatnot, as well as all the synthetic chemicals that you're putting on your body. Let's talk about them as, as as hormone Hormone disruptors, Mm -hmm. disruptors as well, because most of these pesticides and chemicals that we use in our, in our house and on our face and on our hair, um, are also hormone disruptors. They are are what are known as xenoestrogens, right. which means that they appear to the body, even your gut, as estrogens. So they are absorbed through your skin and through your intestines into your body as it would a phytoestrogen or a plant-based estrogen, which are not harmful. Mm-hmm. The problem is that these things travel through your body and they attach to your cells on your estrogen receptors, which every cell in our body has estrogen receptors. So they're being closed. The the estrogen that we have left after menopause or the estrogen that we have before, before menopause is being blocked out by these xenoestrogens. Now, phytoestrogens, the plant-based ones, the ones that come from soy, the ones that come from hops, yes, beer has estrogen. Just just in case you didn't know. <laughs> so they they go in, they they hit those receptors, and because they can't be used by the cells, they just sit there and block the receptors until something kind of kicks them loose. Mm-hmm. And so our our cells are now being not being able to get what little estrogen we have left. And so they're not functioning as well. So that's yes. another part yes. of this. And it's not really gut health, but it's super important. It's all related though. Yeah. yeah. And there's there's actually um the there's a big difference too between the xenoestrogens and the phytoestrogens. Um, they both have estrogenic effects on the body. Um, but the difference is that there's three types of estrogen and the one that typically is, um, can lead to more things like, um, you know, breast cancer and things like that is the one that the xenoestrogens tend to promote more, um, which is just, um, not as uh, healthy of like a, a methylation pathway of like how it detoxes from your body, all of those different things. And whereas the phytoestrogens actually, um, have like a healthier metabolite basically. And so uh, that's like the, the product of that whole estrogen pathway that where they hit it's, it's, it's the healthier, less, um, aggressive estrogen, so to speak. Yeah. And so even for people that aren't going through menopause or don't have low, low hormone levels, xenoestrogens can actually create more of an estrogenic effect and, and create Absolutely. more potentially like endometriosis and, um, cancers and things like and that. Fibroids, exactly. And yeah, breast, breast yes. inflammation. And, Whereas yeah. phytoestrogens yeah. are more balancing, um, and you don't want to go crazy, crazy on them. Of course, just again, everything in balance. <laughs> I'm going to say that a million times, but um, but they do also um tend to have a healthier pathway, um, rather um than the xenoestrogens, which can be really bad. And the dead giveaway, by the way, for the xenoestrogens is if something smells like flowers or like anything really, um, and it and it does not say from 100% essential oils, it is almost de- absolutely definitely a synthetic fragrance. And synthetic fragrances are almost always um, an, a xenoestrogen of some type. And so that is 
something to go through. If you've got, you know, smelly laundry detergent and smelly shampoo and smelly conditioner and hand soap and all these different things. I mean, you can go through your house and there's probably so many different areas, the plugins in your wall, the scented candles you get from, you know, the, the bath store and things like that, you know, all yeah. of those different things. There's a lot there that you can go through and just start starting to switch those out into natural products that are either made from essential oils or don't have a strong fragrance um, can really make a huge impact on your health. Yeah, let's talk health. about phytoestrogens just a second, because mm -hmm. one of the interesting pieces of that, especially soy, is that soy is a phytoestrogen mm -hmm. and it can create some, some balance in you, especially after, as you go through menopause. The problem is soy, soy is a hugely filthy crop, especially right. in the United States. And by filthy, I mean that it has one of the highest pesticide usages they they um they harvest it by killing off the veget the vegetation the leaves mm -hmm. and just leaving the soy pods and pulling mm -hmm. them through so that soy wild soy is a really helpful plant to especially to menopausal women right you have to be careful that it's genetic and not genetically modified, which if it's right. organic, I'm sorry, did I say genetic? I meant organic. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's organic yes. and organic cannot be genetically modified, but very right. little of the American soy crop falls into that particular classification. Right. So and that's why it's so important when you're choosing a supplement or you're choosing your foods is to read labels and really understand like where does it come from and where what's the source and um especially for um soy um just like corn it's it's like you said heavily genetically modified heavily sprayed um and uh and so that definitely creates a lot of toxicity in our body but you can use um those phytoestrogens like that it brings up another good point um especially for, um, even if you're a cycling, if someone who still has their cycle or if you're menopausal, you can use it to help balance out those estrogen levels. And people even do, um, seed cycling. I don't know if you've ever heard of seed cycling, but seed cycling is where you, during your follicular phase. So like days one through 15, or if you're postmenopausal, just reminder, start anytime quick, you want. Quick uh -huh. reminder. Mm -hmm. Day one is the first day of your period. I was never nice. taught that. Yeah. So I, I try and remember to mention that when we talk about the follicular phase, yes. the first half, yeah. it starts with the first day of your period. Um, I guess if you have breakthrough bleeding, because we, at, as women in menopause, we have weird cycles, right. but the first day that you can really identify your period is the beginning of your follicular phase. And it runs until you actually ovulate. And that's also sometimes very difficult to right <laughs> difficult yeah. to, to diagnose for yourself mm -hmm. um but that's the full like your your face okay yes, go ahead thank you for that clarification <laughs> it's so important too because there's not enough um you know education a lot of times about our cycles and our bodies and and and, and how all of that stuff works and so 
Um, and if you're postmenopausal, you can really start seed cycling anytime. You could start it um, just, you know, choose a day, and, um, day one, but it helps you to, to mimic the way that natural your hormones naturally should go up and down. And so for those first day one through 15, um, eating foods like, um, you know, flax and pumpkin seeds and, and, and organic soy and things like that um, can help to actually help your body produce more estrogen during that phase. And then for the next, um, 15 days, so like day 16 through 30, basically you can eat things like sunflower seeds and sesame seeds and, and evening primrose to help your progesterone production. And so you can still have kind of like this cycle where you're eating things and usually only takes about two tablespoons a day of these seeds to help you get kind of like a nice, um, hormone, uh, cycle going that, that mimics the normal female, cycle. And if you are cycling, it helps you balance that out. So yeah. that's one method that, that some people use to help balance it. And it's just using your food as medicine. Yeah. Again, we see this all the time. I talk to a lot of my guests about the specifics of using our food, using our exercise, using our brains as healers. Right. So, um, Last week on the on the show, we talked with Melissa Daly, who is a hypnotherapist and is my hypnotherapy teacher. And we talked about how we use our, our brain and our unconscious mind to create right. healing. So there's a number of ways that we can actually create healing in our body that do not require going to the doctor and getting a pill. And that's Absolutely. so important because... The other thing that we said, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, the side effects from using this kind of natural, holistic uh, approach to healing, the side effects are the things that we want, not the things that we mm -hmm. don't want. So when we talk about side effects of eating right, it's glowing skin and healthy bones and healthy weight and more energy and all of those wonderful things that we want that really mean we're not just not sick, we're healthy. We're yes. Yeah. Patty, what a wonderful conversation we've had today. Can you tell our listeners how to reach out to you and find out more if they're dealing with a gut health issue that they perhaps want their, want your help with? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so, you know, and I, I'll just add to that and say, even if you don't have digestive issues, sometimes you, if you have other health issues, there is work to be done on your gut, um, that can help you to heal and balance out those other issues. And that's a good starting point to, you know, test, we do, um, stool testing, um, food sensitive, food sensitivity testing, um, and all of those, uh, things to help you get some answers of exactly what's going on and, and make sure that's really nice and strong before you move on to some of those other steps. Um, so that can be helpful, but you can definitely find me um, on my website, which is thebeingwell.com. That's T-H-E being, B-E-I-N-G well.com. And um, you can go on there and you can uh, request a introductory wellness session with me. Um, and we can go over your goals. And um, I always give you some recommendations you can get started with right away, but um, that's a good way to find out um, if I'm a good fit for you, if um, what I do is something that might help help you or not. So um, definitely feel free to reach out and you can always follow me um, on Instagram or Facebook. 
Uh, my handle is at Addie Hartkin, A-D-D-I-E-H-E-A-R-T-K-I-N. So just Addie Hartkin, all one word. And those that information will be in the show notes. And in addition, you can reach out to me at Jean, J-E-A-N-N-E, which is the uh, the way it's spelled versus the way it's pronounced, mm -hmm. at uh, menopause.guru. And we look forward to bringing you more information about how you can be the best you you can be. Thanks so much. Thanks, Addie, for coming. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please submit a rating and review and share it with a friend. Menopause has many annoying symptoms, but not many are worse than the lack of sleep. If you are one of the 90% of women who suffer from menopausal insomnia and or fatigue, I'd love to offer you my free download, Five Tips to Get Better Sleep Tonight. You can get it at menopausematterspodcast.com slash sleep. And let me know which of these tips works best for you. 